Please be seated. Amen. Is that the first time we sang that last song? Yes. I like it. <laughs> it really does. Thanks. Well, we are having fun walking through the book of Hebrews and looking at the things that are going on there and, and wrestling with that. And again, as we've talked about the book of Hebrews, something is going on. So the writer in particular is writing to the Hebrew Christian community and what's taking place in some of them is that they are stepping back from their relationship with Jesus. They're creating some space and they're, they're, they're starting to wrestle through and they're starting to say, I'm not sure I really want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not sure if I want to continue in this journey of relationship with Jesus. And we don't know exactly all of the things that are shaping this decision, but part of what we know is going on is that there are things that are being taught to them, things that are being communicated to them that are prodding them as we're listening to what's being talked about to re-engage with their Jewish tradition and Jewish heritage and back away from Jesus. And so as the writer is writing, he's starting to talk to them. He's starting to say, listen, guys, you need to understand, Jesus is greater than everything you've heard about and been taught over the years. And so you are right. God has given us the Jewish faith and God has worked through Abraham. God, God led Israel. We have the 12 tribes of Israel and, and God gave the law. We understand that. But God did all of that for a purpose. And all of that was leading up to Jesus and all of that was leading up to Calvary. And God was giving us all of this to help us to understand what he was doing and what his plan was and what his agenda was. And so as he has this conversation, he says, guys, you need to understand that Jesus is greater. You're backing away from that which was greater than what we already had. And he's continuing this conversation and he's leaning in and he's kind of slowly building his case. As we continue now this morning in chapter 7, we, we start to look and, and build towards chapter 8 and 9 and 10. We're coming to the, the culmination of his conversation. We're coming to the kind of the, the, the pinnacle of his argument. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll kind of walk through. Father, I thank you again for the time you've given us around your word. I thank you again for the opportunity you give us to worship you, to celebrate you, to... Father, as we just sang, for, to, to lean in to your word, to lean into you, and to, to engage with you at a different and deeper and better level. Father, I would just ask you to guide our time, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about one of the challenges and one of the rebukes that the writer had for the, for the reader. And the big, one of the big things he said is, listen, guys. I want to talk to you as adults. I want to talk to you as mature followers of Jesus. But I can't. I would, now, like in the school model, I would love to sit down with you and to start to talk to you about trigonometry and calculus. But we got to go back to simple arithmetic. We got to go back and we got to talk about. 1 plus 1 is 2, and 2 plus 2 is 4. And we've got to talk about simple addition, simple multiplications. And we've got to go back and say, okay, what are the multiplications for 1s? What are the multiplications for 2s? You know, you remember, you remember doing that in grade school? 
You know, when you, now from in the grade school that I went to, we had to go up to 12. We had to memorize our multiplication tables up to number 12. Okay, and you know, and 12 times 12 is 144. Oh, you know, you had all that kind of stuff. And you had to memorize that stuff. And not realizing that like in second grade as I'm learning all this stuff, they're going to be building on that for years to come. But they're back to simple math and learning their multiplication tables spiritually. But he has that conversation, but then he starts to lean into and starts to go into those deeper areas of the conversation. And he continues to talk about Jesus is greater. And last week, as we started to walk through these things, we started to recognize that Jesus is greater than Levi. And Jesus is greater than the Levites. Now, the Levites are important because the Levites are the priests. Okay, so from the tribe of Levi comes those who work in a temple, comes those who serve as priests, and those who are interceding for us. Now again, you have, you have a number of religious individuals in, in biblical history. You have the prophet. The prophet is one who stands there and he stands between you and God, but he's facing you. And the prophet is the voice of God. And the prophet turns and he turns to the congregation. The prophet goes, thus says the Lord. And he stands and he declares to you what God wants you to know. But the priest faces God and the priest represents those who are coming to God but who are coming who are flawed who are diminished because of sin and the priest intercedes between the individual and God and brings sacrifices and 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 brings an offering to intercede on behalf of the one bringing the sacrifice to bring honor and glory to God and to address the issues of sin and flawedness that the individual has. So the priest stands between us in our behalf. Between us and God in our behalf. And what he is saying is that Jesus is a greater priest. Let's continue this conversation. So we're going to, as we have been doing, we're going to pick up steam running from what we looked at last week and then going into the things that are in front of us for this week. So last week we kind of finished up in the beginning of chapter 7. He says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, of, of God Most High, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. These are the, the kings that carted away his nephew in, from in Sodom and Gomorrah in the, in the four cities there. And he defeated them and rescued Lot and his family and everything, all those individuals. And he had all this stuff. And uh, Melchizedek met him, offered sacrifice, and he gave a gift. And it says, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his, his name means king of righteousness. We talked about this last week. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. With, without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but, re, but resembling the same, uh, the son of God, he remains a priest forever. He says this, Now consider how great this man was. Even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people. 
that is from their brothers and sisters. This is the Jewish law. So in the Jewish tradition, Jewish law that came to them through Moses, God said, listen, I expect a tithe. And so when you, when you come to worship or when you come to the temple, I expect you to bring a tithe to the, to, the, to the temple, to the Lord, and give it back to the Lord. And so he's talking about how the priests, the descendants of Levi, collect this tithe. He says, that is from their brothers and sisters, though they have no, they, though they have also descended from Abraham, Abraham. But one without this lineage, someone who's not connected to the lineage of Levi, but one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promise. And this is kind of where we finished up last week. Without a doubt, the inferior blesses the superior. Excuse me, no, you know how I say this and I say things backwards and I did it again. So let's, let's say this right. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. It's not the inferior blessing the superior. It's the superior who blesses the inferior. And so here is the priest blessing Abraham. So in the hierarchy of things, the superior, Melchizedek. The lower one, Abraham. In the one case, men who will die receive a tenth, but in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has passed a tenth through Abraham, for he was still with his ancestors when Melchizedek met him. And that's where we stopped and as we talked about this. But the whole here's the argument. Melchizedek is greater than Levi. Levi was still in Abraham when Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. And the superior blessed the inferior. So when Melchizedek blessed Abraham, Melchizedek was also in a sense blessing Isaac and Jacob and Levi. So as he's blessing and all that down through, he's getting to Levi, but who is still the superior? Melchizedek. Melchizedek is still a priest of a higher order. Why? Because Isaac came through the lineage of Abraham. He is an inferior priesthood, not the greater priesthood. Now, this whole conversation. Individuals have stepped back from Jesus. And the writer saying, guys, listen, you are returning back to your Jewish traditions. You're returning back to that which is inferior. It served a purpose. It had come from God. It was a good thing and God was using it to teach you and God was using it to bring you into a relationship with him and God was using that to inform you and to prepare you for that which is superior and that which was coming. But you need to recognize that that was still inferior to what now is present. You have chosen to step away from Jesus. You've chosen to back up and create space and distance. You're stepping away from that which is superior and you're backing into 
that which is inferior. So he talks about this, and he's now picking up on something we talked about before. Now, if perfection came, verse 11, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear? Pause. If the Levitical priesthood was perfected in perfection, why was there a need for something better to appear? You understand the logical argument, right? Well, if something is perfection and yet something else needed to appear, then this really wasn't perfection. This was still flawed. This was still not complete. But this, what is appearing is said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron. Not according to the order of Aaron. See, Aaron was the first priest of the tribe of Levi. Now, he's going back and he's making this argument. Guys, you're stuck in returning to a tradition that is inferior. Jesus is greater. You're going back to the temple. And you're going back to people who are interceding for you on your behalf. And they are inferior to the one who came, to Jesus who came. He's making this whole argument because he wants to continue to drive home the fact that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. Wow. See, he's really stepping into stuff. Because again, if you look and look to the Jewish tradition and you listen to Jewish tradition, they are committed to their priesthood, but they are also committed to the law. Okay? And he's coming back, he says, if there is a change of priesthood, there is also a change of law. So all that Moses gave, so when God, Moses went to the mountain, met with God, God gave him the Ten Commandments, and then he came down to the nation of Israel and says, this is what God says, and he presented to them the law, and then all of the, the other commandments that came out of that process. And so you would, you would, you would read through the first five books, in particular Le, uh, Leviticus, and you would, you would see all the, the law and all that kind of stuff. And all that spelled out. And what he is saying, he says, listen, when there is a change of priesthood, we also need to change the law. So not only is Levi being replaced, but also the law is being replaced. These things that you are building your life on, these things that you're coming back and saying are really important, really valuable, really significant, things that need to be lived by. 
And the writer saying, listen guys, those things are inferior. Those things are being replaced. Those things are being removed because they have served their purpose and they are no longer in place. Something greater, something better has come. Now, have you asked the question ever as a Christian, why we don't follow the Levitical law? How come we don't go back to the Old Testament and follow all of the things that the Old Testament says that we should do? So, so how come Christians don't follow all the rules and all the traditions that the Jewish community follows? Why? Because the law has been replaced. There is a new law that has been taken and set aside. It's no longer relevant. Its place is no longer in effect as far as God is concerned. Again, this is a huge, huge statement. For where there is a change of priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For the one that has, for the one these things are spoken about belongs to a different tribe. Now, this is huge. This is very significant. Let's keep on going for, so you understand. No one from it has served at the altar. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. But those who served at the altar were from the tribe of Levi, descendants of Aaron. Aaron was the first priest, the brother of Moses. He was the first priest under the law. And it was the descendants of Aaron that would serve as priests from that point forward. It was based upon genealogy. But you were not allowed to serve in a temple and serve as a priest if you were not from the tribe of Levi and not a descendant of Aaron. You were not allowed. This is one of those things where your genealogy, your history, that you have no control over matters. And what he is saying here is this. Listen. There's a new priest from a different tribe. And in that tribe, no one from that tribe has ever served and been a priest. No one. No one from the tribe of Judah had ever been a priest. And so, I'm going to go back to the old days. Now it's come back. But who here has ever enjoyed listening to a vinyl record? Okay? We know how that works. And so you play that record. And now, we're, we, we've moved into our house and I have a bunch of vinyl records. And I'm going to be able to play them again. It's been years since I've been able to break them out and play them again. But when you break out your vinyl records and play your vinyl records, you're really, really careful. You want to put your turntable in a special spot. You don't want it in a spot where it's going to get jostled and pushed and nudged. You want to keep your kids and dogs away from it because you don't want the needle being bounced across your record. Well, there's something that happens that's terrifying when you are playing vinyl records. It's when you put the needle down 
on the record as it's spinning, and then you go. It's a horrible, horrible thing because you hear this. It's terrible. And you don't like that because in perpetuity, you'll hear that because for the rest of your life, as long as you play that album, whenever you come to that spot in the album where the needle went racing across the LP, you have this gouge done, dug into the vinyl, and you're going to hear it for the rest of the time you play your album, your vinyl. Well, this is what's going on. Israel is listening to the music. They're playing their old LPs. And the writer is saying, Jesus has come. He is a better priest than Levi. And he is not a priest who's come from the line of Levi and from the line of Aaron. But he is from the tribe of Judah. And he's just pushed the needle all the way across the album. Just this, and they are cringing at the declaration because it just doesn't fit. This is this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what we are used to. This is not what we've been taught. This is not what we've learned. Any of you ever wrestle with something like that? You sit down and you have a conversation and they tell you, listen, we know that you have been told your entire life that you need to do things this particular way. Forget everything you have ever learned. You're going to now do it a totally, totally, totally different way. And you go through this mental process like, no, I can't do it that way. I've I've been told, I've been taught, I've been shown, I have to do it this way. What do you mean i got to change? That's the whole conversation that's going on here. And yet, as so... Have you ever, now, have you ever had that happen to you? And you've been told, you got to change, and you're doing it the new way. And then all of a sudden you go, oh! And just by default, you started to do it the old way again. And then you had to back up and go, oh, no, I got I got I I, I to forget that. I got to put that away. So this is the whole conversation. So... The Hebrew community, these Hebrew believers, they're wrestling with this whole tension between the old way and the new way. And they're backing away because they're still struggling with this new way and this new message and this this gospel that flows out of the Jewish faith and completes the Jewish message. But they're wrestling with this because it's so radically different from everything they've been taught. What do you mean? A Jew, a, a, a priest from the tribe of Judah. That, that doesn't work. The priest needs to be from the tribe of Levi. It has to be a descendant of Aaron. What do you mean? We're taking the law and we're putting the law aside and we're dismissing the law and we don't need to follow the law and we don't need to listen to the law anymore. You have got to be kidding me. You are blowing my world. You're not just pushing the needle across the album once. It's kind of like you're going all across the whole thing. You're ruining the record. You're driving me nuts. But they're backing away because they're wrestling with what is being taught. They're wrestling with what is being told. 
And he's coming back and he's saying, listen. We have these things called DVDs. They're so much better than vinyl. You ever remember those debates of the whole argument? Is a CD better than a DVD or, or vinyl? Which is better, digital or vinyl? He says we have a totally different approach, a totally different strategy, a total different message that you need to hear. It flows out of that. It flows out of that history. It flows out of that heritage. But it's totally, totally different. It's a new message. And Jesus... The, the history and the heritage of your Jewish faith, it lays the foundation for your understanding. It, it lays the foundation so when you, you think about worship and you think about sacrifice and you, and you think about needing to go to the altar and you think about your reality of having sin, all of that has laid the groundwork for you to understand that there is a different sacrifice that needed to be offered and there is a new law that God is going to write. But guys, it's, there's something amazingly new that God is doing. And they're wrestling with this. They're wrestling with this being communicated because they feel like he's just scratching up the vinyl like crazy and kind of trashing everything that they've held dear in their life. And so as people who come from the traditional worldview come back and lean into them, they're thinking, they're, they're really wrestling with what do I do? What do I hold on to? What do I believe? What do I elevate as priority in my life? Have you ever had that struggle, by the way? Have you ever had the struggle of old and new going on in your life, old patterns and old traditions, old routines of your life versus those new patterns, new traditions, new belief system that God calls you into your life. And then wrestling with what has, what has superiority, what takes precedence in my life, what do, I, what do I bend my knee to, what do I give my life to? And, and, and what do I, what, where do I turn, where do I look, and what, what do I focus in on? And where do I give myself? That's the question. That's the debate. That's the argument going on with these guys. For when there is a change of priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For the one one these things are spoken about belongs to to a different tribe not one for it has served not one from it has served at the altar not a single one from the tribe of Judah has ever served at the altar now it is evident that our lord came from Judah and Moses said nothing about the tribe concerning priests absolutely true and this becomes clear in another, if another priest like Melchizedek appears. What's going on? So we're not talking about functioning under the law. We're not talking about functioning under the law of Moses. We're not talking about functioning under that environment. Moses never talked about that. That's right. So when we talk about now a priest of the order of Melchizedek, we're taking all that stuff that Moses taught us, we're taking all the traditions that Moses provided for us, and we're setting it aside. We're pushing it to the side because we're talking about now something that is different. We're talking about something that is better. Better. 
Now, if it is evident that our Lord came from Judah and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests, and this becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based upon the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, and this comes from Psalm 110, as we've walked through already earlier and above, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That law, the tradition of Moses, is being set aside because now something greater is present. We have a greater priest than a priest from the line of Aaron. Because a priest from the line of Aaron is inferior to a priest of the order of Melchizedek. Because the greater blesses the lesser. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Aaron was in Abraham. Isaac was in Abraham. All of that is in Abraham. He is lesser He's lesser. The order of Melchizedek is greater. So, the previous command is annulled. It's blowing her mind. It's enough to say, you know, you know, you, you said enough above when 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 you, when you talked about we need a new law. But now you're coming back and you're saying the previous law is annulled. Again, blowing these guys up, blowing their brain. You ever have those moments? Now, I'm going to... Some of, who, who saw the movie The Matrix? Anyone here saw the, see the movie The Matrix? Probably a bunch of us have seen that movie, The Matrix. And you come to that point in a movie where you pick the red pill or the blue pill. So many of us, as we watched that movie, and we saw him take the correct colored pill, and he ate it, and then everything changed. And all of us that kind of had lived in that world, our brains went... Because they were tapping into stuff that we had thought about much of our lives and ideas and concepts. But here, he's blowing their brain because he's taking something that they are so familiar with, something that they have known about for so long, something they have embraced, and he's saying to them, it is being annulled. It is being set aside. It's no longer relevant. It no longer applies. And yet they have been weaned on this. They grew up listening to this. They grew up wrestling through this. This is, this is what they've known since childhood. And you're now telling me that all of this is being set aside. No longer applies. Blowing your mind. It was weak and un. Profitable. Further, 
put it in context. If we were to go and talk to our neighbors that come from the North Lakewood area that are moving into our area, and we were to say to them, listen, your traditions, your heritage, and all that you have built your life on over these years, these Jewish traditions, it is weak and unprofitable. They'd be inclined to want to punch us in the nose. They would not appreciate that conversation. They would be offended by that conversation. And yet, as the writer is writing, and as he's talking to the Jewish community, these people who have made it a decision for Jesus and now are backing up because of what is being taught to them, what is being said to them, he is blowing their brain because he's saying to them, listen guys, your Jewish tradition, the law, was weak and it was unprofitable. It did not ultimately accomplish what you wanted it to accomplish. It still left you needing to go back to the altar and continuing to make sacrifice time and time and time and time again. It was weak and it was unprofitable. It did not bring a final and a complete solution to your sin problem. It was temporary. Now that which is better has come. That which is complete, and we're going to see in a moment, that which is perfect has come. Verse 19, For the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath. For others became priests without an oath. But he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, i.e., an oath that came from God, an oath that God declared based upon his own authority, based upon himself that he said about Jesus, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become a guarantee of a better covenant. Again, he's still continuing to kind of blow their mind. The old, the, the, the law is done. Levi is done. And you're telling me that Jesus is the guarantee of a better, a better covenant. And again, all of the Jewish tradition is based upon this concept and this idea of a covenant. A covenant with Abraham. A covenant with Jacob. A covenant with the nation of Israel. A covenant with David. And that's how come... So when, when, and, and if you were to go back and look at Genesis chapter 9 verse 10, that's where you would see that God established and God told the nation of Israel and God established a covenant with, with Judah that the scepter would never leave his hand. That the one was coming to whom the, the scepter ultimately belonged to and it was going to come in the line of Judah. That's all the way back in Genesis chapter 49. But later on, when David was on the throne, God told David, the scepter would never leave your your throne, never leave your family line, and the one that I have promised will be one of your descendants. And so the Jewish people knew, not only did it come from the line of Judah, but it was a descendant of David who would be the ultimate king. 
But he's coming back and he's saying, but guys, you need to understand something. All of that covenant stuff that you have built your identity, that you have built your awareness, that you've built your world around, that all that stuff that you have done, that, that you have said, this defines who I am. Something better than that. And all of that is being set aside. Now again, think about... Think about a person who's an Eagles fan or a Phillies fan. Oh my goodness, and they talk about how much they love the Phillies, and they can tell you about the history of the Phillies, and they can tell you about all the players and all the quarterbacks of the Eagles, and they can tell you about the great plays and the great traditions and the great history and all of that stuff. It's amazing. And then someone comes to them and says to them, listen, we know that these things have really been important for you, but now what's really valuable, what you really need to do is you need to become a Mets and a Giants fan. Oh. That, that's like fighting to the death kind of language. No way not going to happen. And and so their whole world is being wonked. Everything that they have identified themselves as, everything that they have, their whole life identity is being shifted. So it should not be confusing when this battle is going on inside of them. So as people start to lean on them, as people start to push on them and say, listen, you should back away from Jesus and you should come back to your roots. You should come back to your history. You should come back to your heritage, which is in the Jewish tradition. We shouldn't be surprised when they're wrestling with that because their whole world, their whole identity had been wrapped up in those things. And the writer saying, guys, you need to get past your tradition. You need to get past how you used to see yourself and your identity. And you need to put all of that aside. And you need to see the centrality, the importance, the greatness, the betterness of Jesus. The betterness of his role as a priest. The betterness of the covenant that he is establishing the betterness of the forgiveness that comes as you enter into a relationship with Jesus because he is God's guarantee because God has established this as a covenant from himself now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. And you say, there's been a bunch of priests. They come into the office, they come into the role, they die. And another one comes into the office, assumes the role, and he dies. And one after the other, they keep on coming in. There have been many, 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 many priests. But they come into this office, they accept that role, and they die. But because he remains forever talking about Jesus, and so I'm just going to... So as we look at the notes and we see he, I'm just going to put in Jesus so you really catch the context of what's going on. But because Jesus remains forever, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. 
Since Jesus always lives to intercede for you and me. There is never going to be another priest according to the line of Melchizedek, ever. Because Jesus, as he was crucified and died, he rose again, conquered death, conquered sin, never to die ever again. There will never, ever, ever be another priest according to the line of Melchizedek because Jesus is alive and will be alive forever. Amen. There is no need for another priest to come and intercede because the priest who does intercede for us remains. For this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now, Most of us don't understand the tradition of priests, but we understand the tradition of pastors. Myself included. Have you ever known a pastor who fits this criteria? No, we seek to be holy. We seek to be innocent. But we wrestle with sin. We wrestle with being defiled. Separated from sinners? No, we still hang out with you guys. (laughs) No. But we're we're not. We're not separated from sinners. We're not separated ourselves from sin. Okay? And thoroughly not exalted above the heavens. Are we your joint heirs with Christ? Yes. But we're talking about Jesus here. The qualifications or criteria that we're talking about. Jesus meets these. No one else could meet this criteria. Only Jesus can meet this criteria. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do. High priests would punch the clock. They would go in and they would offer sacrifices all day long. Person after person after person after person would come. And then they would have to come back again. And they would go away and another group of people who had been there before would come and offer sacrifice. And another group who had been there before would come and offer sacrifice. And another group of people who had been there before would come and offer sacrifice. And that process would continue and continue and continue. Until the first guys who came and offered sacrifice, who had offered sacrifices before, come back again to offer sacrifices. Because again, they need more sacrifices offered on their behalf. And so they keep on coming back and back and back and back and back. And the cycle continues and continues and continues and continues continues and continues. And then the priest dies, and another priest comes in, and they keep on coming back to the new priest, and then that priest dies, and they keep on coming back to the new priest. But that doesn't happen anymore. He's saying, why? Because there is one priest, Jesus, who lives forever to intercede on our behalf, and he offered this sacrifice once. And as we have come to Jesus, we don't need to come and keep having sacrifices made again and again and again, because one sacrifice has been made by the priest who lives forever. We have a much better priest, a much greater and a much better sacrifice. Amen. Therefore, again, it was necessary for the priests also to have something to... I'm in the wrong spot. I'll come there in a minute. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Verse 25, Therefore, he is able 
to intercede completely. Verse 24, because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely, not partially, not mostly. You go to the doc. Listen, we've given you your treatment for your cancer. We want you to be encouraged. We think we got most of it. Boy, do you go home celebrating, rejoicing? No, you go home anxious. Because they didn't say all, they said most. And they didn't say it's never coming back. They perpetually hang this fear and this concern that it could come back. We hope it doesn't come back, but it might come back. But Jesus is saying, and the scriptures are saying, that Jesus saves us completely. Completely. The issues of sin are addressed permanently, completely, totally. Not mostly, permanently, completely. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do. First for their own sins and then for the people. He did this one time, once for all, then when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Perfected forever. Now, we're going to walk into this next week, but let me just read the beginning part of chapter 8. And we're going to walk into this next week. And this kind of connects the dots a little bit from what we talked about last week. He says, now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven, a minister of the sanctuary, and a true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for the priests also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest, since there are those offering the gifts present prescribed by the law. These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Remember we talked about the copy whole idea last week? These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was warned as, as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, "Be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on a mountain." But Jesus has now come and obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been established on better promises. Guys. You are being inclined to back up. And I know he's saying the things that I'm telling you are just 
blow in your mind and I'm telling you the law is being replaced. I'm telling you the covenant is being replaced. And I'm, and I'm telling you the whole priesthood idea is being replaced. And it's all being replaced by Jesus who's going to, who is creating a new covenant and a new set of promises and restoring us. Guys, don't back away to that which is inferior. Don't go back and embrace those things that are inferior. Lean in to Jesus and embrace that which is better. A better promise, a better covenant, a permanent salvation, a permanent solution to sin. Embrace and lean in to Jesus. Now, in our world today, it may not be Jewish tradition that we are hit with and that we are talked to about where we are being challenged to lean into. But the same kind of debates and the same kind of arguments still take place in our world today. Because all around us in our world, we are presented with different arguments and different debates that says, listen, you should back away from Jesus. There are other things that are so much more valuable, other things that are so much more important, other things that are so much more fulfilling, other things that are so much more meaningful, other things that you should be holding on to that it would, would serve your life so much better. But the problem with all those things that you were being told, they're all short term. None of that is eternal. And a challenge for us also is to set that stuff aside and lean in to Jesus because all the things that our world is telling us to do and pursue and embrace none of it is better than Jesus Jesus is better it's through Jesus that we find forgiveness of sin it's through Jesus that we are reconciled with God and as we're going to start to look at next week it is through Jesus that God writes a new law but he doesn't write it on tablets of stone but he writes it on our hearts and God works in us and he, he, God, the, it's through Jesus that God places his Holy Spirit to rest and to reside within us God gives us so much more and everything that God is giving to us and wants to give to us through Jesus is way, way better than anything the world wants to offer us. It's way better. And see, that's part of the challenge for us as we wrestle through what's taking place in Hebrews and as we listen to this challenge. Jesus is way better. He is the one we should be holding on to. He is the one we should be embracing. He is the one we should trust. And we should let go of all of that other stuff. That's part of the challenge for us. To be good students of God's word, but then to hold on to Jesus and to let Jesus work in us. Not backing away. Not creating space and distance. But rather leaning into Jesus and holding on to him. That is the challenge each of us should think through. Now, as we talk about these things, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. But I would encourage you to embrace Jesus. I would encourage you to trust Jesus. If you're here today and you haven't yet come to that point in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would ask you to just to communicate that on the communication card and say, hey, I would like to talk to somebody about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. 
It's not complicated. It comes to that simple place where we say, okay, Jesus, I have been trusting all of these other things. Again, as I talked to you a couple weeks ago about my journey, I was trusting that I was a good person. I was trusting that I was being religious. I was trusting the fact that I was connected relationally, spiritually to to God because I thought my grandpa kind of got me in and gave me good relationship. And I realized I had to let go of all of those things I had been trusting and I needed to trust Jesus alone and put my faith and trust in Jesus alone and lean on Jesus alone to give me forgiveness and to lean on Jesus alone to bring me into a right relationship with God. It's not hard, but it makes, requires a willful decision to say, I'm going to stop trusting these other things. I'm going to stop leaning on these other things. And I'm going to trust Jesus alone. We often express that in a simple prayer, something that would go something along the lines of Jesus. I have been holding on to and trusting other things. And Jesus, today I'm going to stop trusting, and you would fill in the blank of the things you're trusting. And Jesus, I've been trusting being good. I've been trusting being connected with Grandpa. I've been trusting being religious. I've been, I've been trusting being a good person. But Jesus, today I'm going to stop trusting those things. And Jesus, today I choose to trust you and to trust you alone to provide forgiveness in my life and bring me into a right relationship with the Father. It's as simple as that. A simple prayer as simple as that. But it requires that decision inside that says, I'm going to stop trusting those things. It's not just a prayer. It's that decision to put our trust in Jesus. I don't know where you are in your journey, but if that's where you are in your journey, I would encourage you today to trust Jesus. Now, maybe in your journey, you've come to that point in your journey where you've put your trust in Jesus, but there are things that are prodding you to back up, things that are prodding you to create space. There's different pressure, pressures and different pushes and pulls in your life where you're saying, I'm not sure I want to live fully out there for Jesus. I'm not sure I want to live fully publicly and and fully openly that I'm a follower of Jesus. I think I'm just going to back up a little bit and I'm going to kind of be a little incognito. And I would encourage you to wrestle through where you are in your journey. Part of the challenge of the conversation that's taking place in Hebrews is that if you are choosing to back away and live incognito, the question he's asking, are you really in Jesus? That's one of the questions he asks. But if that's where you are in your journey and you would want to talk to somebody about what it means to live fully for Jesus, we'd love to be glad to talk to you about that. And again, on that communication card, you can jot down and say, can I talk to you about what it means to live fully for Jesus? I would love to talk to someone about that. And we'll be glad to follow up and have that conversation. I don't know where you are in your journey. But what we should be hearing and what we should be walking away with is that Jesus is absolutely greater. Jesus is the one that we should be seeing. Jesus is the one we should be holding on to. Jesus is the one we should be embracing. Because he is by far greater than anything that is being offered out in our world. He is greater. And he is the promise that comes from God. The guarantee of that forgiveness of sin. And that guarantee of a relationship with God forever. Let's have a word of prayer. As I'm done, those that are going to take the offering and we're going to come from the back to the front and the music team will sing and, and lead us as we close. But let's have a word of prayer as we prepare to finish up our time. 
Father, I want to say thank you so very much for your richness and for your goodness to us. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for the amazing ways in which you draw us to yourself, the amazing ways in which you enfold us into yourself through Jesus. Father, as we head into this week, Lord, I would ask that you would be at work in us and through us, that you would continue to draw us to yourself. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.